Hello from Bear and Kura, a podcast from the Land of Oz Information Services. I love you, Bear. And I love you, Kura. This is episode 16 of the Bear and Kura podcast. We're going to talk about work. What did your parents do for a living and your grandparents? Okay, my father, when I was growing up, worked for the William Wrigley Jr. Company, which means he was a chewing gum salesman. His uh, territory was the state of Kansas, so I don't know, about half of the month he would be calling on stores across the state, but I'd say most of the time his calls were in town. During that time, my mother, I believe, was a housewife, took care of us kids. Later on, they bought a business, and um, my mother became the manager of that business, and my father became like the service guy, the one who went out and fixed things and, and that kind of stuff. My father's father was a warehouse manager for um, like a candy and tobacco company. And I always assumed that my father got his job from with the Wrigley's through his connections. But it, it, when I asked my, my mother, it turns out he didn't. He got it some other way. My grandmother, his wife, she was a housewife as long as I knew her. Now, my um, my mother's mother, she was a bookkeeper, worked for a local savings and loan, kind of like a bank. I do know that she also worked, I think, as like a clerk in the local farmer's market, and she was also the doorkeeper for a speakeasy. Hmm. Um, That's pretty interesting. Her husband, my grandfather, was a farmer when I knew him, although I understand he was a university professor and a gas station owner before that. I think when he was a professor, he knew William Allen White, which you probably don't know who that is. But most people who grew up in Kansas know he he was a famous author and, uh, I think, newspaper publisher here in Kansas. Hmm. How about uh, your parents? My my dad was a police officer. uh, It's kind of funny. He actually became a police officer on a dare. Uh, But he was a a trained uh, electrician. So he uh, he worked third shift as a cop. And then uh, he would do electrical work in the morning, and then you know, you know, start his days over and then that. And then my mom, she did some office work while I was younger. When I was really young, she worked at a jewelry store in one of the malls up in Atlantic City. And then uh, I knew she worked for a stockbroker for a short time, and then she worked for Ma Bell, which is now Verizon, and uh, she was a four one one operator until she retired. Yeah, she jumped around quite a bit in offices for uh, while doing that. But I believe she did that for 
almost 15 years, 15 to 20 years. 411 is where you call and you want to know the address of someplace? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then I'd re- on my father's side, my grandmother, Mabel, she died when I was like one or two, and I knew she was in poor health. Uh, I don't know what she did. My grandfather, Treg, he, I'm not sure what he did either. But on my mother's side, my grandmother was a nurse, and my grandfather actually worked for uh, Campbell Soups. He was an electrical engineer. So he actually dropped out of high school, joined the Air Force to go to World War II. He joined at 17, had his his aunt uh, sign the papers for him because my great-grandparents were both passed. And I think she had custody of him. So he joined, and that's when he lost his leg, actually came back after, the, you know, after you know, being wounded in battle and uh, went back to school and got uh, his degree in electrical engineering. So he worked for Campbell Soups, I believe, for his whole career. So That was your father's father? No, that was my on my mother's side. That was Bebop. So he didn't train your father to be an electrician then? No. What was your first job? My first job would have been when I was in high school. It was soon after my parents bought that business. I worked there mainly doing like secretarial work. Um, I took care of all the mail, did all the correspondence with customers and manufacturers and, and what whatnot. I, um, that later evolved into doing desktop publishing. I did all their ads and they did a lot of advertising. I also did all their flyers, all the signs they had in the store, things like that. I wasn't aware of that. I'm, I'm really good at desktop publishing. I just haven't used it as a career in a long, long time. That's what I was going to ask next. I'm surprised you didn't wind up getting into that. Programming pays better. Oh, okay. What was your first job? My first job was I was a paper delivery boy. I think I got that when I was 12, and then I moved up to be a bag boy cart pusher Castle Supermarket in Margate. But yeah, my first job was Paperboy, and I was actually uh, Paperboy of the Month for Atlantic County when I was growing up because of uh, we had a rather large snowstorm, and they would drop off, a big, big truck would come around and drop off the papers to the delivery people there, and I was the only person to get papers that day, and since I was the since I got them, my dad's like, well, that means you have to deliver them now. So we had like a foot and a half of snow. The whole city was shut down. Atlantic City was shut down. Everything was closed. And my dad made me go out and deliver papers. And I had a dog at the time that would go with me on the paper route. And he would get up every morning with me and go. And that day he lasted for about a block and turned around and went home on his own. <laughs> so... But yeah, I got. I remember griping and complaining about it, you know, because it was just ridiculous. I got Paperboy of the Month for that. So, what did you get for that award? My picture in the newspaper and the story about it. <laughs> you didn't get a million dollar reward. No, 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 no. <laughs> what was your major in college? 
uh, administration of justice, or they like to call it criminal justice now. I knew that's what I wanted to do going into college, and I stuck with it the whole time. Was that your father's influence? No, I, I, I maybe. I, I just I, my goal when I was younger, I really wanted to be a Secret Service agent. You know, FBI or Secret Service, and I guess it did have something to do with my father. There was a guy that actually worked for my father on the police force who I remember as a kid they had a going away party for him because he uh he you know left the local police department and moved up to the FBI. He was actually in charge of the World Trade Center bombing. He was one of the lead uh, investigators of the World Trade Center bombing. He had some interesting stories to tell about that, but then uh that kind of really affected him so then they decided to move him to Oklahoma to get him away from the fray and then the Oklahoma City bombing happened and he was one of the lead investigators in that so they tried to get him away from all the craziness of New York and they put him in Oklahoma and then I think that happened a few months after he transferred to Oklahoma City no connection no 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 I hope not <laughs> but he did say it was rather amusing because one of the guys that was one of the masterminds they said they caught him in Newark and overheard him talking to my father one day that he said it was amazing that Egypt's like 130 degrees at like four o'clock in the morning, basically talking about how they went over and got certain people out of Egypt on the cover of night and said that they caught them in the United States. Kind of dark agent type of thing stuff, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much of it's true or if that's my imagination, but I thought it's kind of an interesting story. Well, and also coming to Wichita, the BTK serial killer was active at that time, wasn't he? He he was he wasn't at that time he was dormant. He was active in the seventies and eighties and then he went away for quite a while and then he became more uh, active, I believe, around two thousand one. That's when he started contacting. But when I did my my studies, it was before CSI was popular on TV and all these profiling shows were popular, but that was kind of like my emphasis. I did most of my uh, papers and stuff like that on profiling with Robert Ressler and John Douglas. It's basically the two guys that uh, the TV show on Netflix, uh, Mindhunters, is based around is those two guys. So it's rather interesting to read about that stuff, kind of uh, morbid at the same same time. What did you major in in college? My major was secretarial science. Okay. My faculty advisor, I, I was close to, to graduating with that degree, and my faculty advisor basically talked me out of it. Um, really? She said that she was not aware of any men who successfully got that degree. And it was... Basically, because the woman who was the head of the department at that time um, didn't like men. She had been treated badly in business, and I, I guess men were promoted over her. And so she got out of business and decided to go into teaching. And I, I just don't think she liked men. So... She had 
the, the situation set up where you had to take and pass advanced shorthand in order to get your degree. And she was the only one who taught it. And my faculty advisor said, no man that she's ever, ever knew would pass that class. Hmm. And she advised me to change my major. At that time, I was really into word processing, and she saw that I had potential in that. I had a computer. I had written my own word processing program. She advised me to get into programming, so I did. I, I kind of changed over, took different classes. But then I was well, making a long story even longer. I started a computer club, and we, we met like once a week. Well, one of the guys who joined that club was a programmer for a local aerospace company, and he really liked my work. He got them to hire me, and I started working full-time doing programming, and I never looked back. I didn't go and finish my degree. So my first intended degree never materialized, but um, because of that faculty advisor, I did end up on a good career path, and, and I don't really have any regrets. I, I really do enjoy programming. and So it kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, she, she basically gave me the, the best advice I ever had. Oh, okay. Why did you choose your line of work? I kind of stumbled into this line of work. Like I said, I wanted to be a police officer. I actually uh, applied for the WPD. When when I applied, it, it only took about a year long process to go through all of the uh, the different steps: the physical fitness, the background, the lie detector, the Minnesota test, all, all this stuff. Well, I was taking classes with the chief at the moment at the time. Like they kind of gave me the bums rush to get me through. Well, one of the final steps that you go through is a it's called an oral board, and it was three older white detectives well long story short we basically got into an argument uh during the oral board and it was going to be the last class to go through on clinton's crime bill and so they had the, the they adjusted the score where you needed a higher score higher than normal well i failed by a point and, and uh, i'm not going to go through all of that but basically they, they were very old, white, bigoted men. So they told me I could reapply in a year. And I, you know, the chief approached me about it. And I said, I'm not going to be a part of your organization if you're having these men decide who and who is and who isn't going to work for your organization. So I don't want anything to do with it. So basically, at the time, I was working retail. So I stuck with that. Didn't really know what to do. Then I, I worked for a law firm for a little while doing divorce work. Got really burned out on that, and then I happened upon the pawn business. It was basically supposed to be a fill-in job until I found my real job, air quotes, because a friend of mine worked there, and he's like, I think you'd be good at this. You know, why don't you give it a shot? And now here we are, 18 years later, doing that, and I, and I do really, really enjoy it. But yeah, I, I would have never, ever thought I would be a pawnbroker, being uh, that gentleman, we were talking about that yesterday, about 25 years ago. Would you, when we were sitting around the bar, drinking beer, do you ever think we would be standing arm in arm 
considered some of the best pawnbrokers in the city of Wichita. And yeah, it, it's both kind of surprising, but it's kind of funny how life works its way, way out with things. Why did you choose your line of work? It's like I said, I really didn't choose it. I kind of stumbled upon it and it just, uh, it turned into a career. Like I said, I did you know, it was in my, I never grew up wanting to be a pawnbroker. I don't think I ever knew being a pawnbroker existed. Pawn shops in New Jersey and Kansas are completely different. I remember when I started working at the pawn shop, I, uh, I told my mother what I was doing and I thought she was going to pass out. She couldn't believe it. And I had to explain to her, you know, they are different. They're not quite as seedy in like the underbelly of society like they are back home. I don't know if they're the same way now, but pawnbroking has changed quite a bit in the past 25, 30 years. I never thought I would be doing it, but I do enjoy it. So I stick with it. Well, you do have people in this city who work for large manufacturing companies who do a skilled job, you know, a manufacturing job. And when there's contracts, the the money's good, and they buy jet skis and fancy trucks and whatever. Absolutely. Then when the, the contracts end and they get laid off, they have all this stuff that they can't afford. And so they pawn it. Yep. So I, I can see there's, I mean, there's a lot of pawn businesses in this city. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a a movie with John Cusack in it where it basically paints Wichita as nothing but pawn shops and strip clubs. I think it's called Blue Harvest or something like that. But yeah, there's, and it's, it's true though. It's like you said, these, these, uh, Manufacturing jobs for the major aerospace companies, they, you know, they work and then they'll go on strike. And instead of a lot of these people, instead of investing in their future on 401ks, they, they stick to their little houses, but they'll have, you know, they'll have a boat and four jet skis and a camper and all of this stuff. And then, like you said, once they're laid off, they start parting with those things and then also their machinist tools. And that's why that, that part of town, the southeast part of town, is just riddled with pawn shops because they're all around the aerospace, you know, manufacturing corporations. Well, I didn't choose my line of work, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm in it. I suppose if I hadn't had the gumption to start that computer club, I don't know if I would have ended up where I am. It's it's interesting how doing something, I suppose, for the good of the community, that my computer club was to let everyone benefit, you know, by sharing code and mm, things sharing like that. knowledge. And it ended up giving me a pretty good paying job. Yeah. I, I can't say it's not something I wouldn't have chosen, but yeah. um, it... It did sort of choose me. Also, I want to throw in there right now, congratulations on your new job. I know that we've talked about this before, but I want to congratulate you on our podcast. You start next week. I'm very, very proud of you. It's been a long and arduous road trying to 
find this position for you, but we you finally did it, and I couldn't be more proud of you. And I'm just so super excited for you. And I'm very proud, like I said, of you. Congratulations, Bear. I just wanted to let that out and uh, let everybody know that my wonderful husband is gainfully employed. Well, I haven't got a paycheck yet. I, I haven't <laughs> even started working yet. But I have all the paperwork in and everything, and I I sure hope it works out because it will be a steady paycheck and with a long-term company that I don't think is going to have it's not going to be a case where my job is based on one particular customer of theirs or anything. So I, I really hope it's the last job that I have for the rest of my life. I, I would really like to have a nice, steady job for the rest of my life. And well, I'm proud of you. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Did you always want to be a pawnbroker? No, no. Um, like I said, it just I kind of stumbled upon it, but then you know after doing it shortly, I kind of picked up on it really, really easily. I mean, I moved up pretty quickly in the company. I just picked up on it because it's, it's kind of I explain it basically. It's almost like retail with uh, with an attitude, but it's it's something different every day. Like I said, I did retail clothing before that for for a while. I was a manager at a, started at a seasonal and then became full time and then became a manager for a rather large clothing company in college and did that right out of college. But now uh, I, it, I do enjoy it. Sometimes it drives me crazy, but yeah, I, I never, ever, ever, if you asked me when I was 18 years old that if I would be a pawnbroker, I probably would have looked at you like you had two heads. I just never foresaw anything like this happening. Did you always want to do your current position, writing code, or? No, growing up, I wanted to be a science fiction writer. Oh, that's right. That's right. But I was advised by so many people that it is a feast or famine type of job, and I'm not cut out for that. I'd, I'd rather have a steady paycheck. Yeah. Well, I think most people do. And programming, it sounds like an analytical job, but it can be a creative job, too. Maybe my my background in desktop publishing helps me in that, and I'm able to create an attractive-looking program as well as a functional program. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people really realize that you've a well-rounded program has to have both. Yeah. Give me an example of when you thought outside the box. I'm trying to think of an example. It kind of happens almost on a daily basis, doing what I do. You know, when I started doing this, you really couldn't look up uh, pricing on, uh, you know, the computer program that it wasn't connected to the Internet, really. Uh, you basically had to know what things were worth on your own. But now they have programs where you can just type in the name, make model of something, and the computer program will spit out information for you. So you kind of have to think out of the box quite a bit. You know, you can just be a clerk and do whatever the computer tells you to do. But when you're a pawnbroker, you, you'll look at the item and, you know, you have to take into account if it's resellable. Uh, the easiest, quickest way 
to describe it would be, you know, like silver is not very expensive right now. So we only pay like 30 cents a gram right now for it. So most of the time, uh, it's there. It's just not worth it. People will bring in these necklaces, chains, or bracelets that are silver. But, you know, the clerk would sit there and be like, oh, it's worth $2. But if you're looking at it and it's a nice piece of jewelry, you can buy it for more than that. And you can tell the people who have experience doing it because they'll look at it and be like, no, you know, you're not going to get $100 out of it, but I can give you 15 because I know that I can turn around and sell it as something else, not just silverweight. So that takes a little bit of thinking out of the box, thinking out of the box. That's one thing you got to do. And then, I mean, it's also, uh, you have to get to know these people. And I think a lot of people have this view as pawn shops are there just to rip people off. And it really isn't that way. Uh, I can say that with 100% certainty. I, I, I sleep well at night. I know that I'm not screwing people over. I kind of tell people that the building that I work in isn't free and I don't volunteer. So, you know, we have to make a profit. But some people I believe come in with items and they think that they're going to get close to what they paid for at retail. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, we have to turn around and give them percentage of what it sells for used. So say an item sells for $300 new, but it's selling on eBay for $150. Well, that's what I'm going to have to resell it for because the first customer that comes in off the street purchased that item. They pull out their smartphone and go, why would I buy it for you from you for this amount of money when I can get it on eBay for this amount of money? So the people, once you get explained it to the people, they, they, they understand it, but they're generally not very happy. But I, I just, I think it's a lack of knowledge on, on their part where we have this image of ripping people off. Well, I, I've always wondered, are there times when you are afraid something might be stolen and they're pawning it? Oh, yeah. What do uh, you do in those situations? Well, back in the day, it was great. You could turn around and look at them and say, it's stolen. I know this isn't yours. It's like in the springtime, you'll have some kids coming in. Uh, you can tell that people have left their garage doors open because these some kids will come in and they have a set of $1,500 golf clubs. And, you know, there's certain questions that you ask them and you'll be like, oh, so what do you use this five wood for? You know, how, 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 far, how far do you drive the ball? And they look at you like a pig looking at a wristwatch. They have no idea what you're talking about. And you can just tell. But back in the day, you could, you, you could say things like to people. And now you you can't say a word. It's uh, you'll have a lawsuit on your hands in a split second if you even hint around about it. So you just say like we already have too many of those. Yeah, we, can't we already them. have too many of these. Or what we do is we lowball them then because a lot of people don't realize that there's a whole uh, pawn unit through the WPD that actually goes through every pawn ticket that every pawn shop in the city writes on any given day. And they contact us. And then I think the people don't realize that if we buy stolen merchandise, 99% of the time it gets, you know, the police are aware of it, it gets confiscated and we're out the money and the item. So we're a victim also because we gave money on a stolen item and we never recoup the money that we gave for it. 
It's it, if we do, it takes years and years and years and years and years. There was a case where a guy uh, stole a bunch of high-end uh, sewing machines. He apparently had a pill problem. He said he was the owner of the company. Well, the owner of the actual company came into the pawn shop and said, I have $10,000 worth of stolen merchandise. And no, he's not the owner. I am. Well, the guy got arrested for grand theft. So we get we get a paycheck about once every three months for like $12 to pay pay us back. <laughs> So you were never going to see the ten thousand dollars that were out on the items. You know. So, so you're saying that there was a judgment against him, and mm-hmm. he agreed to pay, and he pays twelve dollars a month. Yeah, twelve dollars, like every three months. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it's ridiculous. You think he'll ever pay it back? Oh no, because as soon as he gets out of jail, there's no way really for them to, and it's just not worth our time or effort to. It's just one of those things that we just chalk up as a loss. You know, we do have insurance for things like that. It can be very frustrating. I think I get more frustrated with when the people think I was born yesterday. I know and you can just tell that this stuff just came from Walmart or Target or whatever because people will come in. Because thieves aren't the smartest people in the world. They'll come in with like eight of the same item. And it'll be like, say, a wrench or a socket set. And you can add, like, you know, I'll ask them, oh, why don't you get so many of these? Oh, I got them all for Christmas. And that they'll say that in the middle of August. It's just, it gets frustrating when I said thieves think that I, I don't have a clue and that I don't know that the merchandise they're handing me is hot as a, a frying pan. So, I mean, <laughs> that gets to be frustrating. Do you work well with others? Mm, I want to say yes, <laughs> no. but... <laughs> no, you probably do. I'm kidding. N- n- no, um, I work better with computers than I do with people. Computers are consistent. You You do the same thing, and it does the same thing in response. Plus, they don't backtalk. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about you? Do you work well with others? I think I do. Yeah, I, I believe I do. I mean, I have to deal with, I, mean, I shouldn't say I have to, but I deal with people on a daily basis. So, I mean, there's ups and downs, but I think I work well with my coworkers and, you know, the general public. But, I mean, the public, I mean, there's going to be people, you know, they're coming in there and they're not having the best day of their lives. They need money in a pinch, so they're not normally in the, the best headspace. No, I, I think I do handle you know, people pretty well. There's probably people out there who would completely disagree with me, but hey, it can't make everybody happy. Do you think the customer is always right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even think about that. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. No. Uh, that's why I call pawnbroking. It's kind of customer service with an edge. With an edge? Yeah, with an edge. Just, so explain that. Just the customer's not always right. I mean, if... The customer was always right when they came into a pawn shop. There would be no pawn shops. We'd be all broke. I can't tell you how many times, well, I'm going to pick my item up. I'm going to pick it up. I have a whole store of, I'm going to pick that item up. I mean, that's why there's stuff. What, for what sale. does that mean, pick it up? Well, they'll bring, okay, the way the loan works, it's a 30 day loan, it's a collateral loan. So they'll bring in an item and I give them the monetary value of what. A, you know, percentage of what we would resell it for. And it changed, that percentage changes anywhere on 
precious metals, stones, uh, guns, tools, stuff like that. Well, the people come in and, the, and the, you know, you give them a percentage of that. And it's a 30-day loan, like I said. So for them to come pick up their loan, it would be whatever the amount they borrow plus 10% interest. And states vary on that. Well, people swear up and down that, you know, I'll be back within 30 days to pick it up, you know, so they would have to pay the, the amount that they borrowed the principal plus the interest that's due. Well, pawn shops have stuff on the sales floor because those people defaulted on their collateral loan because we take possession of it once they default. It is ours. That's why it's a collateral loan. So therefore, I said, you know, that's, I have a whole store of, I'm going to pick it up because these people, they didn't come and pick up their loans. You know, pawn shops want people to pick their stuff up. The money that we make is generally on interest. People think it's a very high interest rate, but 10% isn't really that bad. I mean, annually, it's pretty high, but it's meant to be a short-term cash loan. You don't want to keep your things in pawn for a year because, yes, you're going to be paying 120% interest. But I know, like, Oklahoma has 30% interest a month. Um, I think Nebraska's like 20, or it might be flip-flop, but so. Well, in the computer business, the software business, the customer is supposed to be always right. I mean, they're supposed to know what it is they want and what you have to do to, to get it to them. But they don't always know exactly what they want, or at least they're not very good at expressing it. Mm -hmm. After they tell you what they want and you try to figure out what it is they actually need and you give it to them, then first thing they do is say, well, that's not what I meant. Yeah. That's, I suppose, a given for the industry. That's got to be pretty frustrating, though. Especially when you've worked a week on something and they go, well, that, that's not that's not what I meant. That's what I said, but that's not what I meant. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> like I said, the, the computers are predictable. The, the customers are not. Yeah. Technically, the, compu the customer is always right, but um, no, they're not. Mm. What one thing about your field of expertise that almost no one agrees with you about? That, yeah, I've prepared for these questions kind of, and that's one that I really, we, I hate saying this, but it's, it's almost like with coworkers, we almost have like a united front. Uh, and I don't mean it to come across, it's like us versus them. It's, we all generally have the same idea. I would say there's certain people that I've worked with in the past that they, they got back to stolen merchandise. Uh, I've heard people say, well, that's between Th them and that the they do what? Like taking in stolen merchandise. Well, we can they get knowingly it. do? Well, yeah. They, like, you know, and the, well, we're getting it on the cheap, and that's between them and the police. And I'm like, no, you're just aiding and abetting thievery. Uh, I don't like thieves. It makes honest people in the long run pay more for product, product. And then it contributes to the fact that there is some sleazy pawn shops around. And I don't want to be associated with that. So I get rather heated about that. And, I, and, and I've gone round and round with not any employees now, but employees in the past, uh, people, coworkers that I worked with. And that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. Because we can turn down merchandise anytime we want. I can't sit there and call them a thief. 
or anything like that. But I can just turn around and say, I'm not interested. I have too many of them. And some people just are even afraid to do that. I mean, pawnbroken, you, you have to be kind of cocky, be self-assured, and you're the boss. You know, you're the one who's handing out the money. I mean, you you have the best interest of the company in mind because you want to collect a weekly paycheck. And, you know, I have bills to pay just like anybody else. And I mean, so I think sometimes customers forget about that. They'll come in, and, you know, and it's like, I'm like, I don't own this company. This isn't my money. This is my job doing this. I, I, maybe that's one of the things that people don't agree with me on, but I would say the majority of people agree with me on that. How about you? Well, you- there's one thing in the software industry that almost everybody believes that is not true. And that is that computer programmers are gamers, that they love playing video games. And I do not. No, you absolutely hate them. don't like, I don't even like solitaire. Yeah, you don't like board games. I I don't, (laughs) I don't enjoy any kind of games, let alone video games where where I'd have to. I think you played Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings Legos with me once in my apartment. And I think it's because cable was out or something was out and you played it for a short while, but I think you're, you lost the attention to it within about 10 minutes of playing it. And you kind of just went and did your own thing while we were on a mission. I don't remember that at all. I knew you wouldn't, but (laughs) everyone seems to universally agree that programmers are gamers and, um, I am a living example that it's not true. Hmm. That's interesting. What's your favorite productivity hack? I, I don't have a hack. I would say my, my thing is just be busy all the time. There's always something to do. It drives me crazy when I just sit there, or, you know, we're working and I see people standing there doing nothing or they're on their phones. It's work smart, not dumb. So, you know, just little things that make your job easier. So I want to say they're hacks. To me, it's just common sense. But it's like we've talked about before. Common sense isn't very common anymore. No, so. no, it's not. How about yours? Well, it sounds like you, you're just a broker, right? Uh, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you ought to be the manager. <laughs> well, I was in management before, but, you know, after losing my, my leg. I had to cut back on hours and stuff. And I mean, I still do some of the managerial work. My bosses, you know, I manage with them. So, and I'm fortunate out there with friends of mine. So, because I, I would think most employees wouldn't even think to put it, keep an eye on the others to make sure they're busy. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm just a pushy coworker than the one that everybody hates. Maybe everyone does hate me. I don't know. <laughs> Well, my productivity hack is when I have to do something on the computer more than once, I write a program to to do that. There's nothing more annoying than having to do the same thing three times. Now, that sounds kind of simple, but when you write a program, a tool that you need to use in the future, you have to provide for all kinds of potential possibilities. So 
it's going to take you longer to write that tool, that program. So it, it kind of feels like you're wasting a little bit of time. But if you've done it twice, you, you know there's going to be a third time. And that third time is going to go so much faster if you have a program already set up to do that. So your hack is to save, 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 save. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. Maybe that's why I don't like games. I, I don't have the patience to repetitively do stupid things. So I, I would rather spend a little time writing a program to automate that for me than to have to continually do it over and over again. Mm. That's my productivity hack. Okay. What occupation would you like to try? Growing up, I wanted to be a science fiction writer. I suppose if I was in a place where I was financially secure, didn't have to worry about getting a paycheck, I might go to that. Don't know that I will ever be in a situation like that unless somebody gives me a million dollars or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I would I would like to be a, a writer. Yeah. How about you? I, I probably along those same lines, but not writing, probably drawing, sketching. You know, like I think it'd be really cool, but uh, to to actually illustrate a comic book, I think that'd be really really neat. But I don't know. I know I don't have the skill to do it, but if I did have the time, or you know, I you know you know me, I, I normally use uh, my sketching and drawing and illustrating more as a type of therapy. Than anything else, but if I had more drive, I think that would be really fun to do. Especially if you weren't having to worry about getting paid for it. Yeah, yeah. If it just turned into some sort of uh, income, because I do enjoy it when I do it, but it's just sitting down and and doing it. But yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. Okay, tell me something that you think almost nobody agrees with you on. Hmm. Probably go back to the, you know, the customer's always right. No, that's not fair either. I, I, there's another one that I put a lot of thought toward. Like I said, everyone that I work with really, we're really on the same page, and we kind of have to be. I guess, you know, like you hinting around about me being a manager, I maybe just the different ways of managing. You know, I'm not a manager, but I was one in the past. I, I treat people the way that I want to be treated. Uh, I don't find there's a need to ever talk down or belittle someone who works for you. I think if you lift them up and mold them and guide them, that always works better. So, you know, I, I think that just works better. And then you have a loyal, hardworking, hardworking individual. That, that wants to work harder and, and you know, and then, I don't know, it's, it's someone you can mold. And then I think, and then, and then it helps you in return, too. I mean, maybe, maybe that, I know that's kind of a convoluted answer, but probably just different manage, management styles. And I'm not saying mine's right, but that's just the way that I like to do it. How about you? What do you, I mean? This has nothing to do with work. I think something that's true that almost nobody agrees with me on is there are no gods. Mm. Well, you worship the ground I walk on. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Yes, I do. <laughs> and me too. That, that, that isn't, doesn't sound the least bit sarcastic, does it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess that covered everything that we were going to talk about this week. So I guess we're to your favorite time of the show. What is your favorite joke right now? What is the difference between a magic act and a rocket? For some reason, I think this is going to be dirty, but I have no idea. A magic act is a cunning array of stunts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gosh. I wish, you might have to think on that a minute. Yes, I wish everyone could see the look on his face when he tells these jokes. <laughs> well, that's definitely enough for this week. This is Bear. And this is Kura. Goodbye. Goodbye. You have been listening to the Bear and Kura podcast, a production of the Land of Oz Information Services. We can be contacted via email using the address podcast at oz.com. And Oz is spelled A-W-E-S. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find all the best shows under the rainbow at pride48.com.